right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, everyone, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We are going to get to our conversation with Shane Bacon here shortly. Uh, Shane and I recorded this last Monday, the Monday of RBC week. Uh, so we weren't we were not planning on Rory going absolutely nuts, winning the event by however many he won it by, and uh, almost shooting 59 here on this Sunday. So we are going to record an extra U.S. Open preview and uh, just discuss a little bit about Canada and kind of make our picks on a podcast that we're going to record on Monday. But for now, this Sunday night, this is going to be strictly our conversation with Shane Bacon, who will, of course, be calling the U.S. Open on Fox. We talk about Pebble Beach, what he thinks about you know the way the course is going to be set up, the USGA, what Fox has got up their sleeve this week, and uh, everything. It's been a while since Shane's been on, but uh, he's a very busy man, and we're happy to happy to have caught him for a little while. He almost ended up he almost qualified for this thing, so stick around for some of that story. Um, before we get to that, uh, I got to ch- I talked to Chad, and I talked him into letting me fly free here with what we're going to mention on from the Callaway side. Uh, CallawayGolf.com. Go to the website and see what they've got. Chromesoft Truvis suits golf balls. That's so they got diamonds, they got clubs, they got spades, they got hearts. You've heard me talk about these Truvis balls. I used them all week last week at the BMW Charity Pro Am. We were one shot short of making the cut, but uh, as I've said many times on this podcast, I'm completely sold on the Truvis golf balls. I love the way the ball comes off, especially on putts. Uh, I don't like seeing a line. That's for me personally. I know a lot of people are fans of the triple track, but for me, it just gives me a lot of feedback on things that I just don't like seeing it go off center. With the Truvis, I feel like I hit a perfect putt every single time, even though I definitely, definitely do not. It's helped my confidence a ton to make me think that uh, I'm rolling it perfectly end over end, even though that's most definitely not the case. So Go to CallawayGolf.com. They also got Stars and Stripe Truvis balls. Uh, I've been playing just the red ones, but I'm going to be putting a lot of these different kinds into play uh, here in the coming months. So uh, without any further delay, let's get to our conversation here with Shane Bacon and stay tuned the rest of the week as we unveil more uh, more preview talk on this podcast for the U.S. Open and get ready for one of the best weeks of the year. This is truly lining up to be a great, great major, and I hope everything goes great. So thanks a ton to Shane for the time, and thanks for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We're recording this on Monday, June 3rd. Sectional qualifying for the U.S. Open is going on today. The U.S. Women's Open wrapped yesterday. We got Shane Bacon. He's driving, I think, to Charlotte at the moment to do a wrap-up of sectional coverage tonight. That's already That was seven days ago by the time we had this posted, so we don't need your summary of that. But I do kind of want to hear about the week at the U.S. Women's Open, Bacon. What's going on? Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun week. I mean, you know, this is kind of uh, when you look back at these kind of historic. I mean, you and I are, are kind of golf course nerds. I mean, you know, we got to do Chicago golf last year for the senior women's, and uh, and to get to do a Seth Rayner for the first time in Charleston. I mean, you know, when you have a golf course like that, you know, it's just kind of present the place. And uh, and I thought we did a great job of that. I mean, you know, Faxon loves talking about golf courses. I thought he did a great job. Uh, throughout the week when he was in the booth and then even uh, even on Sunday Joel and uh, Joel and Brad did about a five or six minute piece to start the show on uh, what it was I mean you know we like people hear Rodan and they hear Brits they hear these words uh, and I think even people that 
have played them maybe aren't exactly sure what that means. And uh, and Brad's so good at explaining that. So yeah, it was it was a fun week. You know, Sunday the golf was tough. It's kind of you know it's not always the, the best golf. It, it it opens. I mean, nobody played exceptional, but you know it's a, it's a fun week. I mean, when you get a chance to be in Charleston for for seven days and uh and like I said, get to do that for for five hours a day, it was uh. It was great. I, I heard you guys were talking and praising the, the coverage and no commercials. Let me tell you, when you're in the booth for five hours and uh, you don't have any bathroom breaks, and you're like, can we do a two-minute feature, please? I've got to run to the portal. Uh, that's uh, that's what that's I was getting ready to ask. <laughs> I was, are you, how, 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 what's that like actually being on the ground for commercial-free? And I think kind of to your point, that video that you were talking about uh, that Faxon and Clatt did rolling into the coverage is something you're afforded when you basically are able to go commercial free, but what's it actually like for the announcers? Yeah. So, you know, Mark Loomis is our producer and, uh, and, you know, we'll go like on Thursday, for instance, you know, it was, it was, it was myself and Julie and Brad in the booth and it's a five hour broadcast and uh, we're at about three hours and I hit Loomis and talk back. And I was like, I was like, Hey, do we have any features coming up? And he's like, Hey, I got to go to the bathroom too. Give me a second. And then, you know, it's like a two minute Charleston feature and everybody in the truck is running outside to go to the bathroom. And, and so it's kind of a mad dash, but you know, it's, it's cool to, you know, I, I, I talked a lot about it with, with Joe and Singer and, and Faxon and I've talked a lot about, you know, the presentation of a golf tournament where we can, as you guys talked about in your podcast, wrapping it, the amount of golf we get to show and the amount of time we get on the golf you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun for us to be a part of that too, because, you know, we're golf fans, you know, we watch a lot of golf. We know uh, how much more we can do with what we're kind of uh, allotted, if you will. And, uh, and it's really, you know, thanks to kind of the USGA and Fox and the sponsors getting together and, and doing this, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I appreciate what you guys said about it, but really it's, it's, it's not that hard to be able to present it that way. You know, when we have five straight hours to do it, I mean, if you think about, even back when the Masters would do that 56 minutes of, comer- of, of no commercials, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. And um, and so, you know, you, you can sit there and speak on stuff that maybe you don't get a chance to do if you don't have that much time. Well, can you let us behind the curtain at all and how that's able to actually happen? We know that Fox pays something like $93 million a year for USGA broadcasting rights. How is how are you able to? I know that Rolex sponsored the uninterrupted coverage, but why is this something we can't see every week? Uh, honestly, I, I don't I don't know the necessary specifics of it or kind of the the contract the contracts of it. I just know that uh, you know I think there were talks before last year um, about you know Rolex had a conversation with Fox and with USGA, and um, this is kind of what came of it. And I mean, outside of the U.S. Open, which has commercials, but I think goes the last two hours on Sunday with no commercials, you know, every event we do has no commercials. So, you know, the U.S. Amateur, no commercials, and the senior, and, uh, you know, we had the senior women's, you know, all of our events outside of the U.S. Open is basically commercial free. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, it was, I'll tell you, it was, it was, it took us a while last year to get used to it um, because it's crazy. I mean, I did the world feed for the president's cup last year, the year before last, and I did five hours every day, and that's just no commercials. That's also you fill during what would be considered a break. So you're talking literally for five straight hours. Um, I think it took us a little bit of time in the booth and in the truck to get used to this. I'll say this, like if you ever see a mistake or a graphic wrong or we stumble on something, um, you know, when you're doing it five hours with no breaks, I mean, that stuff's going to happen. So 
if, uh, if people are out there and they're like, that graphic's wrong, it's like, listen, this is what you're going to get when brains are on, <laughs> locked in for, for five straight. But, uh, you know, when you kind of balance that with, uh, with again, all the golf you get to, to show, uh, it's something that, that we've really embraced. And, uh, and I think we're getting more used to what we can show and what the viewer will appreciate. And I think last week, or I guess two weeks ago, was exactly what I'm talking about because – you know, we got to spend a lot of time talking about the golf course and showing stuff about the golf course that maybe you wouldn't if, you know, you had a commercial every 15 minutes. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, I think that kind of those on the fly mistakes are the ones that are very forgivable for most people <laughs> watching a broadcast. Not the pe- the people that just blindly hate Fox, that's maybe not forgivable for them, <laughs> which they, those people definitely do exist. But um, all right. So for us open coverage, it looks like you guys have 45 <laughs> hours. Yes. If I'm reading that right of coverage, uh, prime time you're going to be on looks like from 12:30 to 7:30 on FS1 on the first and second rounds, and then moving over to Fox 7:30 to 10:30 Eastern time at Pebble Beach. Do you think people are going to watch that? Like, do you think people are actually going to tune into that in prime time? Oh my goodness, there's so much coverage. I think that on the weekend, I, and I'm not 100, but I believe that on the weekend, even some of our digital coverage is going to be on FS1 while we're on Fox. I mean, it is going to be. The most covered U.S. Open we've done, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's to me, it's the, it's the most beautiful golf course in America. It's the golf course that I think the general public knows the best. Um, we finally get Tiger, obviously, playing solid golf. Thank goodness he played well at the Memorial, so we had something to kind of come into. Uh, I was looking at the top five in the world. I even tweeted it out. I mean, it's like Tiger and Rory and Rose and DJ and Kepka. You're like, this is probably the best top five maybe we've ever had in the history of the game. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, we're going to, we're staying on property, thank goodness, because, you know, we'll be walking back to our rooms after three and four hours of coverage and just like staring blankly at the wall as we kind of like get ourselves recovered to go back out there because it's a lot. I mean, you know, it, you're, you're on, you're, you're, you know, Joe's Joe and Zinger are on Faxon and I are on. I mean, there's not a lot of rest uh, in between that when you go that long. I mean, it, it makes me appreciate when you like look back at like the open championship coverage that NBC's done and they're on from first tee shot to last. And, uh, and you think about like Olympic coverage, these guys are there for two and three weeks. I mean, I think you, uh, you have to remember that. It, I mean, it's all the amount of coffee in the world doesn't keep those guys on. I mean, it's really them uh, being prepped and ready to go. So we're, uh, we're pumped about it. I mean, it, you said it 45, 50 hours of coverage nonstop is going to be pretty awesome. Well, I, I'm curious how you even uh, believe that anybody's supposed to respect what you have to say in the booth when you couldn't even qualify yourself yeah, for this I event know. at the US Open. So, like, it's really embarrassing. I know. So, but <laughs> for those that maybe don't uh, know that you you made it through local qualifying this past year, I'm curious what did you what did you put your chances when you teed it up for local qualifying, which I believe was at your home course in Phoenix. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My 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 home course, Phoenix Country Club. Yeah. What did you put your chances at of, of getting through on that day? So, so I haven't really told anybody this, but like I was kind of sleeping restlessly. It was a Monday. It was like Sunday night, and uh, and I went to bed and I kind of slept like crap. And I like woke up a couple times, and I woke up in the morning at like six, and I was exhausted. And it was kind of one of those I was like, you know, I mean, I'd obviously put it out there on social that I was doing it and, you know, friends and people are texting me, good luck. And my family's like, my dad almost flew out to watch me. I was like, don't come out. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I was like, uh, and, and, and then Max Homa was going to caddy for me and then he, he couldn't cause he was playing in the PGA. And so I decided I was just going to loop myself and I just threw all my stuff in a carry bag. And, uh, and I kind of was like, 
do I really want to go do this like Monday morning? I was just, I was just beat, you know? And, um, and I, you know, it's one of those, I didn't want to go out there and embarrass myself. And the first hole at Phoenix is this really easy par five. It's, it's the hardest driving hole on the golf course because there's out of bounds right and there's the driving range left. But if you put it in play off the tee, you know, you've got like six, seven iron into a par five. And, uh, and I had like a 20 footer for par on one. And I was standing over this 20 footer for par on one. And I was like, dude, if you make six here, like you've got no chance. <laughs> like, this is like literally my first part of the day is like, that's, this is it. You know, I mean, if I, if I don't make par here, I mean, it could be a really rough day. And, uh, and when I made that for whatever reason I settled in. And so after that, I felt pretty comfortable. I mean, I, I, I felt kind of like, okay. I mean, it's, it was at that point, maybe going in, gave myself three percent of getting through and i feel like after i made that putt on one i was like i can shoot i can shoot 70 you know i can shoot even par i can shoot a couple under and uh and so kind of the rest of the day i didn't really get that nervous until 18. well what do you how often do you you shot 68 how often do you go out and shoot 68 out there and how different was that doing that in tournament conditions i mean i i would say that you know i would my average score out there probably around even 71 so it would be a good day for me to go shoot that in those conditions. It felt more like 65. It felt like going out there and having like one of those days. I mean, all the pins were in brutal spots. The greens were really, really fast. And uh, it was funny. It was like, I'd walk up to the tee on a par four and like look down at my pin sheet. I would, I could have told you where they were going to put the pin before I looked at it, you know, cause like I know where the most brutal spots are on the golf course. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was probably, it probably felt like six under shooting three under. Was it just a victory lap then to go to sectionals? I mean, what were your expectations going into Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, just kind of just happy to well, be there. Well, I mean, it was. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like I, I, I was in, I was in North Carolina doing the Senior Women's Open. I had a, a 8 p.m. flight to Dallas that got me in at 9:45 uh, for an 8:10 tee time the next day. You know, I went to bed at 11:30. You know, got up at six. I'd never played the golf courses before. Uh, I didn't even have a yardage book until I got to the first tee. I mean. I, I didn't necessarily think I had a great chance. Um, I, I birdied 17 the first round. It's 36 holes. I birdied 17 to get it back to plus one for the day. And it was it was playing tough. I knew it was playing tough. And uh, I thought if I birdied 18 and shot even, um, you know, and you never know on, on the second round. And I actually, unfortunately, made bogey on 18 and shot uh, shot 73. So, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was one of those things. I was I was outmatched and unprepared. But like you said, it was a victory lap. I mean, it was... I don't want to say I was happy to be there, but, you know, I mean, when you get to a point in the second round where you're, you know, three, four, five over, and you're like, at that point, you're like, all right, don't shoot 80, you know, like, don't shoot 85, like, like, go out here and at least put a round together. I think I played like the second round, I played like my last seven or eight holes, even part to shoot 77. I mean, you know, it was kind of a grind just to get to that point. That day was, we were in Dallas that day. That was brutal. We did not even want to be out on the golf course that day. But I remember, I was like thinking about doing local qualifying here. And I, I, my mindset was kind of like, man, the, like what you just said, like, man, don't go shoot 80. And I kind of realized, like, dude, you're not ready for this. If that's your mindset <laughs> going into it, like, don't go out and play, the, embarrass yourself like that. It got to, got to flip the mindset around, but I do want to do it in the future. But congrats on making it through local. That was, that was fun to watch and follow. Um, I, I want to know, did you learn anything in the process kind of about what professional golf is like or, or, you know, your own game or anything like that? Well, it just remind it reminds me, like, I mean, you know, it's just 
like, you know, I played really well in local and got in, right? And uh, and I had a putt on 18 to tie low round of the day, and I really bummed I didn't make it because you get a medal from the USGA, and I, and I don't have a lot of trophies in my life. That would have been nice to have on the on the bookshelf. Um, but, uh, you know, I just I, – I was standing on, like – so my best buddy caddied for me, my buddy named Rusty, best friend since I was, like, 10 years old. And uh, he's not much of a golfer, but he was just, you know, he's like the only guy I would have wanted to have out there for two rounds. I mean, he, we, we had a great day. I mean, I don't get to see him a lot. He lives in Texas. And I was standing on about 13 or 14, and I'm playing with Martin Laird, and Martin Laird's like five or six under for the day, probably through 27, and then makes a couple of bogeys and then hits the ball out of bounds. And you can just see it on his face. And he's got the Colonial that week. You know, this is on Monday, a Colonial week, and he's got to go out there and do Colonial. And they're grinding and I just remember I looked at Rusty on like 12 or 13 and I go I'm just so glad I don't have to do this for a living you know I mean right. I, like you know you look at professional golf and you see Rory and JT and Kepka and it's private planes and it's sponsorships and it's million dollar bonuses and it's Aon challenge and all this stuff and like you forget that there's like 7,000 people out here grinding their tails off to like try to get to a point where they're making 50,000 a year. I mean, it's just so damn hard and they're so good. You know, it just reminds, it was more of a reminder to me that like that, that, that the, and you guys, I think you guys do a great job of this at no laying up is like you guys highlight the world of golf that I think the, the, the general public never thinks about, you know, it's like baseball. It's like you're on a bus in single a and you're making 1200 bucks a week and, you know, you're eating ROM. And I was talking to Joel Klatt last night, um, and, you know, he, he's part of the broadcast now. He played he played minor league baseball. I was like, what would you eat? And he was like, dude, we'd eat, like, that, like, bowl of – the bowl of, uh, of soups, like – and I would, like, heat the water up in the coffee maker in my hotel room so I could, like, eat the soup so I could at least have some substance in my body for the next day. And, like, you know, it's like I'm out there playing with those guys. You know, there's Brian Harmon's that are out there and Martin Laird's, but, like, there's also, you know, the mini tour guy that got through that if he gets into the U.S. Open, it's a career maker. And then he's got to make the cut just to make a check. You know, it's just it's just a reminder of how hard it is. Absolutely nuts. I think it just it just the the what I just love about the U.S. Open process, too, is the names you see on this qualify. Like not a lot of guys get in a free pass to the U.S. Open. It's crazy. To, we, I caddied in it last year in the qualifier and just seeing the guys out there. I'm like, dude, he's not in the U.S. Open. <laughs> like, right. Right. They, they do not give that many spots away. It's nuts. But um, transitioning here, I guess, to the uh, to, to probably the, the topic people most want to hear us talk about. But uh, this year's U.S. Open Pebble Beach. One of my favorite traditions for U.S. Open Week is to go to the USGA site, look at the flyovers, and re-familiarize myself with the holes because it's usually been a few years since we've seen an event at the current year's venue. But that's not the case this year with Pebble. You were out there recently, and you know we everyone saw the golf course you know this past winter uh, at the AT&T. What's going to be different about this course that we're going to see this month than the one we do see every winter? Well, they, they got they've got a lot of rain lately, which is nice. I actually was. Uh I was having lunch on Sunday of Women's Open Week, and uh, and Mike Davis came over and was talking to my producer and I, and we were talking about he was out there for media day, and I was like, Mike, like Pebble's in unbelievable shape, and he said it's it's in the best shape he's ever seen it um, of all the years they've done the U.S. Opens, and I think it's because they've got a lot of extra rain. You know, you're going to see a lot tighter fairways. Eight, my goodness, you have to hit. I mean, you know, you get eight iron on four, or you get four iron on eight, or, you know, just to get it in the fairway, right? And you, you runs out, so you can't hit anything else, and um. I mean, the fairway's like, 
12 yards wide at the end of the fairway where these guys are going to like try to get it to. So, I mean, you're going to see a lot tighter fairways, but I think you're going to see really hardy rough. You know, you, you don't really see that a lot in these, especially years where it's really dried out and they haven't got the amount of rain they've got this year. So I think you're going to see a lot thicker rough uh, at the golf course. And, you know, I mean, when you're talking about skinny fairways, you know, open fairways at Pebble, uh, you know, if you start missing these guys are going to have to gouge it out and, uh, and it's going to look like, a U.S. Open from the 80s and the 90s, I think, in terms of what the rough's going to be like. So, uh, you know, you're going to see smooth greens, and that's what's exciting for us because, you know, sometimes at Pebble you can get those really bumpy, poey greens, and I don't think it's going to be like that uh, that for this year, and I think it's all because of the weather and the prep the golf course has gone through. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm starting to, like, look at names, like, guys, who do I think has a really good chance, and you start to think about guys that, can get the ball in the fairway, and then you start thinking about guys that are that are that are in control of their irons. I mean, like what we saw with Tiger at Augusta, uh, more than anything else, was just his his ability to hit his irons whole high. And I mean, that's what I'm going to look at for players that I think have a great chance. Is it's not you know the longest of hitters. You don't have to hit a whole bunch of drivers. It's going to be the guys that are hitting their irons uh, in and around where they want them to land. And it's not necessarily hit them at the flagstick. It's going to be more. Just, you know, if you have 175, you better hit at 175 because, you know, you're going to be in this rough and you're going to have to scramble to make pars. And, uh, and, and so it'll be dried out by Sunday. I mean, it might look like 10 when McDowell won, but I think it's going to be a, 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 a hardier pebble than maybe we've seen in U.S. Opens in the past. You know, Tiger said said it recently too when he you know went back and played a practice round there that he had forgotten how small the green complexes were. And Golly. I was and looking at those flyovers, man, they are so tiny. It's nuts. It's unbelievable. Like they're they're tiny. Oh, they're insanely small. That's what I, I'm trying to picture how all this is going to play out combination wise of what you're talking about. I think there's going to be a lot of missed fairways because of how narrow they're going to be. Guys are going to be chopping out of the rough into green complexes that are really really difficult to hold. And I, I'm just hoping we don't just see a chip off, you know, balls that are a couple feet off of every green, uh, hacking out of deep rough, which I think is kind of what we're set for. And and look, I just don't know how you hold these greens if, uh, from the rough that a lot of people are going to be playing from. But I, I, I get the I get the feeling though this is going to be a very different test than Beth Page was. Beth Page was so long on top of having the ankle deep rough. Right. This seems like a golf course that like nobody like almost nobody in the field can be eliminated from in terms of distance. I mean, there's just not that much length out there the really long holes i think two is the only one that's really long that plays pretty flat nine and ten are long but they play kind of downhill it just doesn't seem like this is going to be a place that uh the bombers that can drive it down there and and hack wedges out of the rough really have an advantage is that a fair statement yeah absolutely i mean i think you know when you when you kind of like look back at, at country club of charleston for instance right like you know the best championship venues allow all types of players to have a chance and i mean when you look at like Boudier, who hit, he, he was hitting at 240 off the tee, and Lexi, who can bomb at 290, uh, you know, both of those players are battling it out, and I think that's what we're going to see at Pebble. I mean, you can think about, like, a, a Brand Snedeker type who doesn't bomb it, um, but, you know, kind of understands that type of golf, you know, versus a Capco who obviously is going to be in the hunt because he has every single major at this point, and a Tiger who's going to hit probably, you know, four or five drivers around, depending on how the weather is. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I look at. I mean, that, that's my favorite type of golf course. I think, I think you would agree is, you know, if you, if you have a venue in a championship that can have a guy that hits at 280, a guy that hits at 310 and a guy that hits at 340 and they're all in contention on Sunday, that's what we want. You know, we don't want just one type of player 
that can take advantage of this golf course. And so, you know, that's what I think I'm excited about with Pebble is, you know, I mean, you look at the favorites, you know, the way Spieth's been playing. I mean, I think Jordan Spieth is probably going to be my pick for the U.S. Open. I think uh, I know it's kind of wild to say considering the way he played earlier this season, but, you know, it's it's a golf course that I think is going to fit the way he plays when he's playing well. Uh, and then on top of that, obviously, DJ plays it well and, uh, and, and Tiger's going to have, you know, Tiger's going to have Tiger chances. If he does what he did at Memorial, uh, he'll be there on Sunday. Can I just say, for goodness sakes, Tiger Woods, just play well in one of our U.S. Opens, just one. We've never – he's – it's – like right, so we came on the air last year. It was Faxon and I. Oh, God. We come on the air. Like, so Joe and – it was I think it was Thursday, and Joe and Singer have the morning coverage because they brought, they brought us on. And, and so they flip it to Faxon and I in the other booth, and we literally come on the air, we're on camera, you know, we, we go off cam, it goes to the first tee, layout, on the first tee, Tiger Woods, and we're like, hell yes. Here we go. go. It's Tiger Woods. This is awesome. And, uh, and the funny thing was on Wednesday, we shot one of those Titleist complete performance pieces that we do uh, for Fox that roll. We roll, you know, we do four or five of them, and it's about – you know, certain golf shots or things that you might see. And uh, and we did one over the green on one, and we get done with it, and we're walking off and fast. And it's like, if you hit it over here, you are dead. Like, we're not on cam anymore. He's like, you are dead if you hit it over here, especially if the pin's back. So we get on one. We're like, Tiger's on the first tee. Faxon and I are, like, standing up. We're so excited about this. Tiger hits in the fairway, which he never does on one. We're like, nice, here we go, over the green. And he makes seven, and we were like, Oh, cool. Okay, so not gonna. He's just gonna be done for the week now. Again, sweet. Okay, I guess we'll uh, we'll figure out the other storyline. So I just want to see. I want to see Tiger around on the weekend. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for much here. Huh. Well, I, I I was just thinking back to to 2015 too at Chambers Bay with I think the <laughs> one of the lasting images we had of him uh, from that year was him just dead topping a three wood from the middle of the fairway going yep. right into a a coffin bunker in the middle of it. That is like, yeah, it's been a while since we've had a really good Tiger Woods U.S. Open memory. So I think we're all kind of ready for that. Um, from In looking at the yardages and kind of compared to the 2010 yardages, the only holes I'm really seeing lengthened are two is up about 15 yards and then nine is up about 20 yards. So it's pretty much going to be the same golf course from a length perspective. I want to know what you think the risk points are right now as we're a week out. What are the risk points for the USGA if this thing goes poorly for them? How or why do you think that might happen? Well, I mean, if it, if you know, you've got to be like Shinnecock is different because the wind is more predictable, right? So, like with the wind around Shinnecock during the year, you're rarely going to get some crazy wind that blows through. So, if you have the greens really fast and you know what kind of weather you're going to get, you can kind of plan for it. At Pebble. You just have to be careful because on any given day it can blow 40, right? I mean, that's just what happens when you're a coastal golf course like that. So I actually think there's less risk at this golf course than any of the past few years because the greens aren't going to be lightning fast. I mean, so that that's my thing. It's just you've just got to be you got to err on the safe side of speed of greens, and I think they'll do that. I've, I've talked to them a little bit about it. And it's not like you're not going to see 14s at Pebble Beach. You know, you're going to see greens at 12. And, I mean, I think when you look back at 10, I watched 2010 the last uh, the last couple of months. I'd throw it on, you know, on, on, on Apple TV or whatever. And when you look at those greens, they weren't 
they, they weren't as fast as what you typically see to U.S. Open, and I think that's because they know what can happen if they're in a 13 and, and you get some sort of thing, you get some weather that blows in on the weekend. So I would just say, you know, if you if you make the greens lightning fast and the wind blows crazy on the weekend, you know, that's where it could get really scary for the players. And I think they know that, and that's the nice thing is there's no reason to do that. I mean, I think when you look at 10 and you look at when Tiger won and you look at, you know, you look at 92 and you go back through the old opens, the greens are never – the scary part of pebble and that's a good thing because you know you you just got to you've just got to you've just got to be careful of uh of something unexpected and that's and that's the and that's the thing you get there how well have you gotten to know usga folks like over the years that you've kind of worked with them with fox and do you get any sense for you know how they've taken the credit so much of the criticism they've received whether or not that's had a real tangible impact on their strategy and how they're going to set up this course and championships in the future yeah, I mean, I like, I mean, you get to know them because you work with them, and I mean, you know, you, you talk to them about it, and um, you know, one one nice thing with us is is how how much how close I've got with David Fay. You know, David Fay, of course, set up U.S. Opens for decades, and you talk to him about the good stuff that happened and the stuff that maybe when he looks back on, he's like, I wish we'd have done that a little bit differently. And so, you know, they get criticized because it's the hardest event all year. I mean, that you know, that's what I think sometimes is forgotten is. You know, this golf course is really tough. And you look at the Country Club of Charleston on Sunday, it played really, really tough, and none of the players said anything, you know, because it's, like, almost expected to be really hard. You know, it's like, this has got to be hard to win. And uh, and I wonder sometimes if the PGA Tour players, I think you guys touched on this. I heard Andy and Brendan touch on it a little bit on Shotgun Start. Is like, you know, you you play a golf course that's the same all the time, and you get to a golf course that will punish you when you hit a mediocre golf shot. Not a bad golf shot, a mediocre golf shot. And sometimes it punishes good golf shots. That's part of it. I mean, we play golf sometimes in, in conditions where you hit a shot, it lands in the middle of the green, it goes to the back of a bunker. And it's not, I mean, yeah, you might go, well, that kind of sucks. But, you know, you're not sitting there blaming the way the golf course was set up that day. And, uh, and I, you know, I think a little bit when you look at Trinity Forest, I think Trinity Forest gets this a little bit on the PJ Tour. You know, some of the players can play in the first year. Well, what is this? This place is weird. This is because it's different. I mean, it's a different test of golf. And I think some of the players are literally programmed fairway green. I hit a wedge on. It should stay. Why did it not stay? I hit that so good. And and you played like you play enough golf with PJ Tour players. I call it pro speak, you know, where they hit a shot and they're like, shocked that it's not close and you're like well guys y'all hit bad golf shots sometimes you know it's like <laughs> it happens to the best players in the world you hit crummy golf shots and it's like they're expected to have every golf shot perfect and if it gets a bad bounce you know they, they go all over them they get all over them and I, I i'll tell you this man you look at the way kepka approaches it and you know kepka gets tiger comparisons kepka's nicholas to me i mean nicholas went into every u.s open saying, I'm not going to complain, this is what it is, this is how I play it, it's supposed to be hard, it's going to be brutal. And he would go into it and he would hear all these guys complaining on the driving range, and he would make him happy. And I feel like Kepka's like that. He goes into these U.S. Opens like, I hope it's the hardest place that I've ever played golf on, because if that's the case, I have the best chance, because I'm just not going to complain. We were watching uh, we were watching Shinnecock last year. Uh, we had like a screening during the Women's Open, where all the broadcasters sat around and we just watched a couple hours of our broadcast from last year. 
and you watch Kepka's demeanor throughout that front nine, and it's like, I don't care. I don't care what kind of bounce I get. I don't care if this drive goes in the rough. Like, I'm fine. Like, if I get a bad break, it's almost better for me because somebody else is going to get a bad break, and their hands are going to be on their hips, and they're going to be complaining the whole time. Kepka's the killer that I think we wanted maybe some other players in the game to be. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to put it. We're having a, for whatever reason, we're having a hard time accepting him as that killer and that that like, true champion, like a champion in the greatest sense of the word in the game of golf. And I think, <laughs> it, no, it, like, it's just, it's insane what he's done. And I still, like, we're on like 30 minutes into this and we haven't talked enough about the fact that he's going for a three-peat at the U.S. Open. It's still, I, I do actually think, though, that that is kind of underrated almost because of how good he's been in other majors too. Like the, the you've almost forget that he's going for three in a row because, Oh yeah. He also won two PGAs in that time. And which is also just absolutely nuts. And I don't think this is necessarily the greatest setup for him. Like we mentioned, it's going to bring a lot of other players into it just based on the fact that it's not based on length, but that in no way means that he shouldn't play well here, won't play well here and won't be in contention. I would be, absolutely stunned if he was outside the top five absolutely but i mean like like i would disagree with you just because i think that when i think it's like any of these courses are fine for him because his mentality is so much better you know it's like right he maybe he has a game i don't know how he prepares i don't think any of us know how he prepares it's not like he, he he reveals a whole bunch of stuff in press conferences but you know like i feel like he gets to these places and it's clicked on and like he's the Kawhi leonard of the pj tour it's like we all these guys complain to the refs. All these guys want fouls, and Kawhi's just out there playing basketball. And you ask him questions after, and he gives you answers. And you're like, "Well, that answer kind of sucked." And you're like, "Yeah, well, that maybe that answer sucked, but like, it works for him." And you know, you you said it. I mean, it, there there's so many guys that we wanted to go into championships and play like this, and this is the guy we have doing it. And I think you know. Maybe it's the way he speaks to the media. Maybe it's because he never tells us anything. Maybe it's because he gives us these short answers. Maybe it's because he wears those hats. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> he is, you know, it's it's an unreal approach. And, like, I used to defend Dustin about this all the time. People would be like, well, Dustin's this and Dustin's that. I'm like, Dustin's a golf genius. Like, whatever you want to say about the way Dustin speaks, the guy's a genius at what he does. And I, and I, I put Kepka in the same category. It's like, you're a genius if you can figure all these places out and not get rattled. I mean, you're a genius if you make four bogeys in a row at the PGA and still find a way to pull out the win. Like, that's stuff that a lot of people can't handle. Yeah, just sitting here thinking about it just makes me realize how ridiculous, uh, like us included, like as golf fans are, in that Kepka's an under 30-year-old American with four major championships, and we're <laughs> still kind of like, eh, he just doesn't like quite do it for me, you know? He just right, doesn't right. <laughs> it's just insane. He's a killer. The guy, the guy puts his foot on... He plays with his best buddy, who's number one in the world, and is like, I'm going to kill you, dude. Like, you, you've got no chance. And it's like he knows it on the first tee, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah. Four majors is so many. So many. It's more than DJ, Justin Rose, Jason Day combined. And I, I know we kind of put that into perspective after he won the PGA, but... I think it is just worth just to make sure that we're giving him his proper respect because I know he gets all butt hurt when we don't. That uh, <laughs> that this is at least discussed. Um, I, I I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm just going to ask this question uh, the way I asked it to you earlier. But an age old debate is Pebble Beach overrated? Oh my goodness! No, it's not overrated. It's underrated. <laughs> it's underrated. Here's why. Uh, you have me, to let explain me put, that one to me. Let me put this. Let me put this out. I'm going to say this because 
I, I'll make this debate the same way I make the Bandon Dunes debate, okay? Bandon Trails is the best golf course at Bandon. The reason people don't think that is because it doesn't have ocean views. For whatever reason, we as golfers are obsessed with the ocean. I don't know if it's relaxing or if it's beautiful or if it makes pictures look good or when you have the drone out there, it like it's like spectacular. But like Trails is the best golf course. When you look at Pebble Beach, some of the best holes at Pebble are the ones not on the ocean. So you get, you know, you get, you play one. So one, everybody complains about one. Oh, one's such a horrible hole. One's an awesome starting hole in golf. Like if you think about some of the classic golf courses in the world, like St. Andrews, for instance, the first hole on classic courses tend to be fairly easy, right? It's kind of a soft start to your day. Pebbles tricks you into thinking it's a soft start, but it's a tough tee shot. You've got to hit it, especially in U.S. Open. You've got to hit like a hybrid or a three-wood in the left side of the fairway, and it feeds into the middle. And that green is one of the toughest on the golf course. You play two, which, you know, it turns from a par five into a par four. It's really hard. And then you go to three, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you make that turn. But, like, when you go to, like, 11 and 12, the par three, which is, like, I think the most underrated hole at Pebble, and, like, 14, which is a brutal par five, and 15 and 16, these holes, when you play them, and you look at them for what they are, right? They're not ocean holes. You can't see the ocean. That's such a bummer. The picture's not going to turn out. But the holes are awesome. They're spectacular. They're well-designed. They're strategic. And so when I, like, look at Pebble as a whole, at all 18 holes, I think a lot of the time people people forget about seven, eight, nine of the holes that I think are some of the best on the property because they go outside of six, seven, eight, and 17 and 18. What are we talking about here? And we're talking about really, really solid architecture that, you know, will test these guys in different ways. You know, like 11 is a great test. It's a brutal green that makes you hit a golf shot short of a hole. And if you take on the flag and you hit it long and you've got a 20-footer down the hill in U.S. Open conditions, you're probably going to make a bogey. And isn't that what we want? Like, we want guys to have to hit different clubs and different shots into holes or different shots off the tee to get it in certain places to kind of attack flags. And, like, that's what I think we're going to get at Pebble, especially at a U.S. Open. And uh, it's not going to be soft like it is, you know, at the Pebble Beach. It's going to be this firm golf course that balls are going to run out if you if you if you hit the wrong shot off the tee. Yeah, well, I, I knew I would get a passionate defense from you. I think where that comes from, I, I think I, I this is probably going to be a popular topic of discussion, like on uh, golf Twitter. I imagine leading up to the U.S. Open of like what Pebble could be, and I don't want to weave too far down that path just because. One, I don't know a ton about the history of Pebble Beach, and and I, you know we've seen pictures of kind of what it used to look like. I just fall back on seeing a lot of where the bunkers sit and seeing how much how small the greens are. I can't imagine that's the original shape of those greens, and I think it would introduce even more challenge and intrigue the closer you get those bunkers uh, to the greens. And I think the heavy rough that is around the small greens kind of serves as a bumper almost for these guys. So if you, you know, if you hit it, hit a shot onto these greens and it rolls through it, it's going to kind of stop generally in the same places a bad shot would stop, uh, you know, somebody that flies the green and whatnot. So that's kind of where I was getting at with that. Just kind of looking and seeing, and we'll see how it plays. And I, I haven't seen right. it play in these conditions and whatnot. And I'm definitely open to that, but just kind of looking at the, some of the images. I was like, Oh man, I just, it looks a bit like a shrunken Beth page to me, like a smaller scale Beth page in that regard. Well, I, 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 I'm, I have, I'm completely eliminating ocean views from this. I think to okay. like a, a user experience of a golf course. I think that is 
just being seaside is incredible and is awesome. And I don't hate that, uh, you know, the kind of the age old debate saying, you know, if Pebble Beach doesn't have an ocean, well, you can't say that because Pebble Beach has an ocean. <laughs> I think it's kind of looking at it from two totally different aspects of like, would this course be fun to play? Of course. Like, I'm never right. going to deny that. Is it a great, great golf course from a professional? I'm not even willing to say no to that. I just kind of wanted to introduce the topic and say, I wonder if it could be even better. You, you know what I find very interesting about American golf, and, I, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, because I've talked a little bit about, about it with some of the people that I work with, is, you know, we look at Scottish golf, and we always envy the way they have golf there, because everything's public. You know, I mean, besides Muirfield, basically anybody can play anywhere, anytime. And if you're a local, you can play it for almost nothing, right? And, uh, and when you think about American golf, I sometimes think, because we're the complete opposite, that all of our great golf courses outside of a couple – or private, that I think sometimes these public courses get, I don't want to say shamed, but I think at times we're like, oh, it's Pebble. Like, I could go play Pebble. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. almost like we we roll our eyes at the public courses because it's it's a place that everybody has a chance to play. And when we showcase Shinnecock, you know, which not everybody can play, it's like, wow, like, this place is unreal. I don't know much about it. And with Pebble, you know, we see it every year, obviously. And it's a golf course that, you know, if you have 600 bucks, you can go play there. I sometimes wonder if, if say Pebble was just private. Like, say tomorrow they went private, and in mm -hmm. 50 years, our kids were like, wow, look at this place. It's unbelievable. You know, it's it's almost like we, we, uh, we're, we like, skewed as, go as American golf fans because of the, of the thing we envy the most about Scottish golf. I, I, I'm with you on this. This is a this is a solid way of looking at it. And that you know, if it was private and we saw it, almost never would it be treated like Cypress Point is treated. You know, exactly. like well, you think you've seen something pretty, you've never seen Cypress Point. No, that, that's <laughs> that's a very 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 fair point. I also think it benefits just kind of from a historical standpoint of being rated so 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 highly and being the number one public golf destination in the U.S. for so long that you know it's kind of you know with all the new golf courses that have been introduced and I, I haven't played pebble in almost 10 years so i'm maybe not that well prepared to say it but like if i was playing to like the the experience of playing pebble which the only time i did it was five and a half hours and it was right. five cost me 550 dollars the experience of that or like going to go play like any one of the courses at bandon or pinehurst or something like that like i'm probably taking the other one to be honest just because i value the overall experience and comfort level of being somewhere uh, more so than I do like checking off something on a bucket list. This is a separate debate than the U.S. Open, I think. But that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I'm so bummed I didn't qualify. I go out there with the pros and we could play in four and a half hours. I mean, that's, I'd just run around. You know, I'd be like, hey, guys, let's go. We got, <laughs> we're timed here. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's do this. We don't have to wait on the guy hacking it out of the right rough. Yeah, we teed off at like three o'clock or something in, around this time in like early June or late May, and we didn't. I didn't get to play eighteen. I was we played eighteen in the complete dark because it was like six hours. So come on, guys. <laughs> but no, no. I, 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 I like I said, I, I'm extremely intrigued to see how this golf course plays, and I, I, I you've given me a little bit of confidence that they're not going to screw it up just because there's not as much opportunity uh, for them to screw this up maybe as there would be at a, a, a more open, wide open course like Shinnecock. They kind of had to do some things to greens to really make sure they stayed firm and it didn't become just a little dart fest at some of those pins. But you released a, a, a controversial Twitter rankings of your favorite holes at Pebble. Do you have any oh. regrets on anything that you ranked in there? Um, maybe maybe five being as high as it was uh, after some, some discussion 
uh, with some of my my coworkers about the way the green sits. Um, and you know what's funny is I I need to do a little research on the old five. Um, I need to go watch some of the old clips of what the old five was. But I, you know, I was talking about David Fay. David Fay was telling me last night. He's like the old five was like one of my favorite holes on the golf course because it was just so it was just you know it was it was different. The green was the green was quote unquote easy to hit but like very difficult if you didn't hit it, you know, it was like very penal if you didn't pull off the golf shot. So I would probably drop five a little bit. I knew when I had one higher, people were going to freak out. And of course they did, but uh, you know, it's fun. And I know you do this too. Sometimes you put stuff out there and you're like, people are going to be fired up about this. Let's go. Oh, let's, see sure. what they, let's see what they say. It is the best there uh, when they, when they come at you. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, eight, eight, it's one of the best golf holes ever. So yeah, your rankings for people that haven't seen it, it was like I won't do them all, but you rated 8, 6, 18, 4, 12, 7, 5, 17, 9 as your top 9 holes, I guess on uh and then followed by number 10 as your top top holes at Pebble. I don't have any regrets besides 5. Maybe drop 5 a little bit. Yeah. I mean, eight and six. I mean, again, look at those flyovers again today. And I know we all know these holes. I was like, God, that is sick. Like, that is absolutely awesome. Six, the way the fairway narrows, the oh. further you get down it and the more risk you take on to drive to have a shorter iron into that green. Eight, the same way and the angle that you've got to come into that green at. I mean, it is it is sick. And I, I, I'm excited. So I remember, I think it was 2010. It might have even been back to 2000. Um, watching, there was a front pin on seven. I think it played like 82 yards or something like that. And it was downwind and the green was firm. And Poulter hit a shot that landed on the green and rolled to the back. And he was just like, how are you supposed to play to that? And getting really butthurt. <laughs> and like watching guys like not understand the concept of... Like yeah, you might sometimes you got to play away from the hole to set up the next shot. Like it's eighty yards. Like right. of course, right? Like of course, this isn't going to be easy to land it right next to the hole. Like we want you to kind of still have to work for a par. Just because it's short doesn't mean it's a birdie opportunity. Like their ability to think of the uh, you know of an approach shot as not having to end up right next to the hole is like kind of going back to what you said earlier the pro the pro talk of just expecting expecting balls to end up right next to holes. It's just again, like you said, like. I, you know, pros can complain about the U.S. Open. I know that whole piece came out, all of those things. That's, to me, part of the intrigue is, like you said, a 70-yard shot that a professional, anytime he's playing golf, is expecting to hit it within 5, 10 feet, and them still trying to hit that golf shot despite knowing that the greens are massively firm, you know, the ball's not going to land and check up and spin back like it normally does, and it's almost like they're too stubborn to, to, to skip around it is is like what I look forward to the most. You know, it's like I'm not sitting here rooting for carnage. I just – I like the guys that can, like you said, kind of figure that out, right? It's like, you know what? This is 70 yards. Three's really good here. Like a three, I'm going to pick up – I'm going to pick up some strokes on the field. Uh, something that opened my eyes too was we were out at Pasa Tiempa this year and we were playing the 16th hole – um, and they were getting ready. The Western Intercollegiate was out there a couple months after, but we played it. The greens were pretty soft. 16th hole is this insane three-tier green. And we were, one of the guys we played with, he hit it up on the top tier, and the pin was on the middle. And he said, if this was the college event, if this was the Western Intercollegiate, I would putt this ball into the rough like the neck, no, on purpose <laughs> on the middle tier. 
He's like, that would be my strategy. Like that's, I hit this in the wrong spot. Like I am punished for this. I hit the ball in the total wrong spot, and I would put this next one intentionally into the rough. That was like, that was that was like a, a my hands in the air moment of like, whoa! I did not did not even understand that you could strategize something to that level. But you know, like you, like you, you guys, you guys play so much golf in different places. Like going back, kind of the Country Club of Charleston, and like just reading and, and, and talking and meeting with people the, that have been out there for so long. And like the 11th, you know, the Redan hole and like Frank Ford's telling us that he'd lay up, you know, during tough events, he'd lay up on a par three because the best chance for him to make par was making sure that he was short of the green and not left and right of it. And again, like, could you imagine going to Dustin Johnson on a 170 yard shot and be like, Hey man, like just hit it a hundred yeah. and then hit it 70. <laughs> and that's the best way to make three. And he, I mean, he would be like, no, like, what are you talking about? And like, we saw it, we saw it in the final round, like Lexi, who, you know, has as much power as anybody on the LPGA tour hits it in the left bunker. And, you know, I mean, there's a chance she's going to make five. Like she had a good bunker shot, but you're out of position. And now all of a sudden you might make double, you know, without a doubt. I think we can, uh, with, based on your rankings, we can all agree that 14 sucks, right? I mean, they, they've changed 14 <laughs> enough. I like, I, well, I mean, I'll, I guess you kind of have to see, right? I mean, I guess I kind of have to see what the green's going to play like, like how firm it's going to be, because we've seen 14 play too hard a lot. It'll be interesting to see how it plays, you know, this year, because when you see something like that continually be impossible, and it's like, okay, well, we can't make it impossible, or these guys can't make a par. Um, you know, I thought it played. I thought it played exactly how it should play at the U.S. Amateur. You know, we had the Amateur there last year. I thought 14 played great because we saw birdies, and then we saw guys hit it over the back of the green and have no chance to make a five. So, again, it's like that's another hole, right? It's like, you, hey, you know what? Not a bad idea just to play it short, like with your third shot and, like, chip it up the green and make five. Like, just because it's a par five doesn't mean you have to make birdie on it every time. With that, I, I, to- I completely agree with that. I think it's funny to watch guys kind of mess with that, uh, battle their own internal instincts on that. I will say in relation to Pebble, they have made a lot of strides in recent years, a lot of changes that expanding the 17th green needed to be done. Uh, I know they've put some, they've added some space in the back right of the 15th green, if I remember right, and they've changed a lot to right. 14 green to kind of start expanding greens as best they can. I think for them, the, the, the classic issue they run into is... <laughs> I can't even imagine how much money they they bring in per hour in tee times. It's like how much? What's the cost benefit of you know of shutting down tee times to to do that? Um, two questions. I'll let you out. Uh, what any kind of new bells and whistles you're expecting to unveil from the Fox guys at the U.S. Open this year? Um, you know, I I mean, I I know we will. I mean, you know, we have uh, we have that side by tracer. I think they're going to mess around a little bit with um, so the side tracer. And then have the tracer as well on the shots. So you actually get like two tracers and two different views on it. Um, we were talking about that in our no blimp tracer. Uh, there's going to be no. I don't think we're going to do blimp <laughs> tracer. I, like they. Uh, so you know, like that. That's been introduced. But uh, who was it that asked that? I think we were, when we had that meeting the other day. Um, I think it was Brett Quigley that was like, "What if you did the tracer on both sides?" And uh, and so I think they're going to mess around with that on a couple of holes, like a couple of the like on six. I think it'd be a great tracer to have because you'd see the guy in the fairway and then you could see kind of where it was going on the right side. Um, we've got a new putting, uh, you know, the putting one to me is the hardest. I mean, like they, you know, everybody's tried to figure out how to, how to show putts, you know, because we have the shot tracer or the Lexus tracer, if you will, we have all of these tracers and things like that. 
But putting is so hard to explain because it's both speed and line, you know. Um, but apparently the new one we have for the U.S. Open is supposed to is supposed to help kind of explain that through a graphic. So uh, that should be new. And then um, our booth, so Joe and Singer's booth's on 18. It's the same one we had for the U.S. Am- US Amateur. So it looks down 18, and it's awesome. Um, ours is supposed to look across the bay at 6 and 7. And uh, I'm really excited about that because our director, Steve Byam, was like, it is awesome. So uh, I'll be like, you know, I'll be I'll be hunkered down in there the entire week. But I'm excited to kind of see what our what our vantage point will look like. But you never know. They, they, they always have they always have some new bail and whistle they'll, uh, they'll, they'll bring out kind of like on Thursday morning. And we'll be sitting in the booth going, oh, that's that's pretty spiffy. I'm into that. Hmm. All right. And then the last one. Are we doing a bet? Like we've kind of stopped doing our major bets, and we've kind of have a list, a backlog of bets that still need paid off. Holly, I owe you. I owe you some. What do I owe you, owe you? You have to caddy for me. I owe you a kilt. You, no, yeah, you, and I got to wear a yeah, kilt. Yeah, you got to play around in a kilt. You have to caddy for me with a open bib, like a like a down to your belly button, basically. Uh, which oh, you always lose the attire ones, which I think you're trying to lose those. But <laughs> and then I also, but I owe you like eating a bunch of food that doesn't exist anymore, like from Arby's and Burger King and a bunch of a bunch of places like that. Um, I I would like to get the bets going again. We did kind of drop the ball uh, at the Masters, which is probably a good thing because you always pick Tiger. Um, I uh, yeah, I think we should get it going again. I, I think uh, we should just have a bet, like a big bet, with something big, like ridiculous. And it should just be you got to pick the winner. And you like, we'll do the winner. You can't pick them again until somebody wins it. Does that make sense? Can we explain that again. Okay. So from from this point forward, we both just pick one person to win. But you can't pick that person in another major until someone calls it correctly. So like, if you picked Kepka and I picked DJ and neither of them win, they're off the board for the next major. And okay. then those guys are off the board till the next major till somebody that we actually pick wins it and then i think we could have like a big bat like a like a charity thing or you know a tattoo on your face something like that all right let's go <laughs> i want the beard bat. i was in on the charity I, until you said tattoo on the face i'm still trying to get you to do the shave the beard thing which you won't do which i find That's ridiculous off the table um no it's it's been so you so here's a, so i have a question so so okay what if you get married let's say you get married in two years beard for the beard for the wedding Oh, for sure. She's never seen me without the beard. I think you should show her your face without hair. No, a good friend of mine told me a long time ago, covering up as much of your face as possible is a very good thing for you. <laughs> and I took his advice, and it has worked well for me. So I'm not, I'm not even messing with that one. All right. I want, in some capacity, I want there to be a you've got to shave your face bet in our bet. You're gonna to have to really up the stakes of that one. It won't be. It won't be this year. What? I understand that. I, Maybe ten years down the road. I understand. I, I'll. Oh my god, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> you speak, you can grow it back in a week. No, that's the thing. Is mine does it takes like three weeks to grow back, and my in between phase. I don't have an in between phase. Like some guys have a real nice it subtle just beard. Yeah, it's Patches O'Hallahan. It's it's really bad, and, and so it, it's yeah. That's 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 why. That's basically I can't I can't risk being seen in that kind of two week stretch. I originally did it when I was studying for the CPA exam, and I locked myself in my room for three weeks, and nobody saw me, and I came out with a beard, and everyone was like, hey, actually, that kind of looks okay on you. All right, so I want you real quick, I want you to do the best beard, no laying up rankings from best to worst. I want you to, you to give me the rundown. Oh, God. Um, I mean, DJ's is probably the, the fullest, I would definitely say. Come on, Tron's. Tron's is unbelievable. 
It is, yeah. Tron's got Tron has the most uh, depth to it. He's got I would great say. DP. Like, he's got great DPI. He can go full U.S. Open and grow out the rough and really make it thick, and that ball really settles at the bottom of that stuff. Uh, but I would say DJ probably has the best range, the most. He can do the subtle and can do the thick. Uh, that's uh, that's I got I got one style I got one style only and I keep it keep it that way but that's probably how I'm I'm, I'm putting All it right, so, so, so I think we'll go, Randy's got we'll an go. underrated one he never lets it fly though so DJ one Tron two Neil three or are you three I'm three because Neil has better facial hair options I don't think he does the full beard as well I think he would tell you that but I mean, he can go <laughs> Fu Manchu he can go goatee he can go mustache He's got again all kind of options and possibilities that I that I don't quite have. If we're going overall facial hair, he takes that in a landslide over me. But I'll take my, I'll take the beard ranking over him. I think Neil is the only human I've ever seen that looks good with a Fu Manchu. I'm I'm pretty <laughs> confident in saying that. I see pictures of him and on videos and strapped and stuff, and I'm like, is he pulling that off? Like, is that really a thing that looks good? And I've I've decided, yeah, it, it, it looks good on him. I, you know, it's just, it's just, I think his personality helps it out a lot. One of DJ's friends once said, uh, Neil is like leading the league in, I have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes on screen. Like it could be short hair. It could be the, the facial hair. You never call. know what you're going to look like, what, you, what you're going to get. It's, so. it's an unbelievable call. Yeah. Haircut, uh, hat, outfit. It's, it's like, yeah, he, uh, he's basically like, you know, I mean, he's like the Daniel Day-Lewis of, like, y'all's group, right? He just can pull off anything if he wants. He is a method actor, too. He's got, he's got, he's got a wide range of roles he could play. So, um, well, why don't we take the bet offline? Let's figure out a good one. we got a week to do it, and we'll have it ready by the time this pod goes up next week. And, if anybody uh, has ideas, send them. And don't send we – we get 75 of the same responses every time. Think yeah. of something creative. It's like the voicemails. Send in something – that would be unbelievable. You know, exactly. donate golf clubs, all your old golf clubs to somebody or, you know, anything that could that you think we would actually read and both go, that's a hell of an idea. Those are the things you got to send in. Yep. That's the, the, we, we did not come up with the caddying with an open bib and all the crazy no. food stuff. We rely on the, on the listeners We're not that for that. Smart. No, not at all. So. All right, well, Shane, best of luck at U.S. Open Week. Can't wait to watch it all. Forty-five-ish um, hours of coverage and whatnot. And uh, c- c- congratulations again on on the, all of your successes. And I I look back at you coming on this podcast when the when there were no microphones in 2014 and talking about these <laughs> events. And now you're calling them on TV. It's really really awesome to see. Yeah, it's it's going to be wild too. I'm going to have like a four day old when I go to Pebble, by the way. So that'll be a uh, that'll be really easy. I'm sure that I'm sure my 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 focus won't be a. Uh, won't be elsewhere for the Monday and Tuesday of Pebble when uh when I'm like, all right, babe, I'm gonna leave you. See ya. Hope hope the you baby's got this, good. Right? You got this. Yeah, yeah you you're, you're, you're good, right? You're good to go. All right, perfect. <laughs> all right, cool, man. Thanks for the time again, and uh, best of luck this week. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.